Hello, my name is Adrian Tabura. I'm a co-host of the Final Third Podcast. I'd like to thank you for downloading this week's episode. We have a bit of a serious topic this week. We're talking about politics, protests, and racism in soccer. So just a content warning, I suppose, that we do talk about racism in all of its forms. So if that's that's uh, not a topic you'd like to listen to or just something you wanted a heads up on, there you go. It does get serious. It is lighthearted at times, but it's an important topic that we really wanted to to delve into. We just scratched the surface. We're going to talk about this topic many, many times in the future. So if we left anything out, which we for sure did, we will eventually address racism again in the future. But if you wanted to talk about it some more, because we have been talking about it on our Twitter and Instagram, then follow us there at Final Third Show. We always love talking to anyone who has a take, especially a take related to how we can be anti-racist, how we can tackle racism and get it away from the beautiful, beautiful game. So if you want to talk to us about all of this, well, let us know at Final Third Show and enjoy this week's episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another deep dive episode of The Final Third. This week we're talking about maybe a bit more serious topic than jerseys and, uh, you know, who's doing well in different leagues. Because something came up this past weekend at the, um, the general meeting of the U.S. Soccer Federation. And it brought us to this idea of talking about race, politics, and soccer and how they all intersect, and what we can do about racism in soccer. And we think that this is going to be a really interesting conversation. Uh, as always, I'm one of your hosts, Jack Seepersod, Minnesota United fan, Atalanta fan, Fran- French national team fan, and I'm joined here with AJ. Yeah, I'm AJ, Minnesota United, uh, West Ham United, U.S. soccer national team fan. and. Jack, you know, we're talking about a really important topic about race, and I, I, I think I think this deserves a, a little bit of background, maybe a little bit of qualifiers in order to understand where we're coming from. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I, I can provide some context on my background. I'm a political science major, so trying to understand trends Ooh, in politics— and uh, about like racism in society and understanding politicization of international events like soccer is something I've studied a fair amount. And I'm also going to try and come at this uh, as politically unbiased as possible. It's going to come through here and there because I am a very political person, but I'm going to say right away, not treating racism as a valid political view. And I, I also want to say that I think that AJ and I can provide pretty different perspective on this topic than a lot of other people have been able to because as much as we love soccer and the culture around it a lot of the most outspoken people whether it be in social media or on podcasts or on just media in general tend not to be that diverse and is mostly white men for the most part yeah so we're we are not uh my uh my family background is from guyana so i i have a little I'm I'm not exactly, you know, white or anything like that. I'm 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 mixed race and I think that kind of helps inform my perspective on this a little bit. Yeah, and my parents, both of them came from uh the Philippines. They moved here before I was born and so I I've had the experience of being um a, a son of an immigrant family that's definitely informed my background. Uh, with race relations in America, and yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely it's definitely a, a weird feeling knowing that, especially the U.S. soccer uh, environment is very very white. I was actually surprised to see how many of the people we follow on Twitter are like white dudes in their twenties and thirties uh, watching soccer. But you know, that's that's just the way it is. But you know, Jack and I are very very fortunate to be able to have a voice in this community and you know jack said he's not going to be trying to be as unbiased as possible 
I'm not going to make that same process. I'm a, I'm a little bit more, uh, a little bit more risky than, than Jack in terms of that. But I, I just think that in my personal opinion, with, with some of these politics, there is just in an objective right answer in terms of race. And I, I'm pretty sure Jack will also agree with that. Yeah, uh, that, I totally agree that, that there's some things where you, you can't really have much room for debates and you know, with, with that, with with that preface out of the way, we're four minutes into this already. So let, let, let's let's jump into it. The reason why we're talking about all of this, there's there's three main reasons, and one is that we we have been noticing, we've been seeing, we've been hearing just continued racial tensions and abuse hurled at soccer players, pundits, and fans, and you know, we're also seeing ongoing racial tensions in society as a whole whether that be police brutality, whether that be mistreatment of people of other cultures, you know, in other countries and here in the U.S., everywhere. Uh, we also have, we mentioned this in the Monday episode, Zlatan Ibrahimovic saying that athletes should stick to sports. Uh, he's, he's saying that, you know, athletes should do what athletes do. Politicians should do what politicians do. And this is all part of a larger social narrative that, Politics as a whole should not be a part of sports, and we should kind of section off politics into its own thing. And we also have an ongoing controversy regarding kneeling for the anthem. Uh, it's more of a U.S.-based topic, I suppose. Or if you want to look at this more broadly, globally, before games, just uh, in the Premier League, you know, we have uh, the Black Lives Matter kneeling before the games. Uh, there's a lot of controversy around that because it's a form of protest against racism. And there's one specific instance that kind of encapsulates all of this, and it's the real main reason why we're doing this deep dive. And uh, Jack, are you ready for uh, ready to kind of relive this or hear more about what happened at the general meeting? Yep, I guess so. Let's yeah. do it. So, so this is like Jack said, uh, what happened here at the annual general meeting uh, last Saturday, held by U.S. Soccer. It was. You know, kind of an, an egregious thing. It got U.S. Twitter blowing up, and it kind of flew under the radar in terms of what it meant for U.S. soccer, what it meant for kind of how we deal with racism in soccer. So I think it's important we talk about it, even if it got covered a little bit on Twitter. Uh, th this this meeting, this annual general meetings, where U.S. soccer executives meet to discuss policies, goals, you know, that sort of thing in terms of U.S. soccer, you know, repeal laws, pass laws, and they repealed a 2017 policy, policy 604-1, that required players to stand for the national anthem during U.S. soccer games. The repeal, the repeal vote, sorry, passed with 71% of the delegates voting to repeal it. And this policy was originally adopted after Megan Rapino of the U.S. Women's National Team knelt for the anthem in solidarity with former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick. And, you know, there's obviously pushback uh, when they were repealing it. Many people believe that the national anthem should be respected due to what it represents in terms of veteran sacrifice, which, yeah, sure, uh, I personally disagree with uh, that statement. But, you know, it's not an, an egregious take. It's a, at least a respectable take. However, people do take defending the national anthem a bit far. A bit far right. Anything about yeah. that, one, Jack? Yep, I, yeah. I, I got it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, they're they're being racist. I suppose is the best way to put it. Uh, whether it's a a bad faith argument or they're just mask off saying that they're racist. Uh, speaking of that, you know, a delegate Seth John, who played for the Paralympic team, who was a veteran or is a veteran, and was in the U.S. soccer leadership, decided to go on a bit of a racist rant. I don't want to read exactly what he said because he's a bad person and he talked for six minutes, but I thought I'd get some of the highlights. So all this is quotes. Obviously, I don't agree with or lowlights, honestly. Well, you know, lowlights is a better term. Uh, yeah, like I was saying, I don't agree with any of this. I'm just quoting him. Obviously, I don't know why anyone would think that I agree with this, but here we go. Uh, quote, politicizing sport is the last thing anyone really wants. Why would the general public care to watch a bunch of privileged people politicize their entitlement? Sport is the one thing that un unites this country. Major sports saw a massive decline in viewership as they expressed an inundation of varying displays of their politics. He then goes on to say some you know, 
statistics explaining why kneeling doesn't make sense uh, in terms of police brutality, because that's one of the reasons why people are kneeling. He says the facts just don't have time for feelings. Like, like, like he actually oh. said that. that I, oh I don't my know. God. Uh, so bad. Yeah. Continuing on, quote, 95 percent of deaths in the black communities come at the hands of another black man. 3.7% from police and 3.2% being justified uses of force. I worked in law enforcement alongside my black, brown, white, yellow, red, purple peers. I never once saw a hint of police brutality. Does that mean it doesn't exist? No, but it's important to rebuke a divisive narrative. There's racism in every race, so why are we seeing our individual platforms to exercise our SJWs and bringing light the disproportionate number of deaths in those communities? He's basically saying the classic police brutality isn't bad because black on black crime is worse, which is, you know, you know, to textbook racism. I remember that was like a something that people said in 2015. But uh, going on, he then talks about slavery, which is even more of an uh, egregious topic to tackle. But he did saying, quote, I keep hearing how our country was founded on the backs of slaves, even though approximately only eight percent of the entire population owns slaves. Every race in history has been enslaved by another demographic. Where are the SJWs to bring illumination to these real atrocities? Yet only one country has fought to abolish slavery. The USA, oh where God. nearly 400,000 men died to fight for the abolishment of slavery. Their sacrifice is tainted with every knee that touches the ground. Uh, he then talks about his history in the military, the sacrifices he made, and then he asks why we should kneel because it disrespects veterans and costs U.S. soccer money. And first of all, I, I just want to say before I move on to anything, like the USA fighting for to abolish slavery, like I, I that, that that's that's not the, the 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 good point that he thinks it is. Like I'm I'm pretty sure what the UK just passed it into law. Yeah, and it was, it was just the thing that happened. UK, oh. France, most of Europe, you know, yeah, they they just passed it by law. Yeah, well before the US had the Civil War, so I don't fifty know. years before in some cases. Yeah, his main points were. One, politicizing soccer is bad because it loses U.S. soccer money. Uh, bad take. Two, it's disrespectful for you know, people who fought for the country. Three, police brutality isn't a big deal. And four, slavery also wasn't a, a big deal. Racism in any context is not something any of us can stand for. He has since been removed from U.S. leadership, you know, out of the U.S. soccer realm, but his worldview is not one that we can continue to let exist if we want to rid the world of you know, xenophobic rhetoric, I suppose is the right way to put it. So today, you know, the, the rest of this time, and after we, we've gone through that, we're going to be talking about why this narrative parroted by many people in the soccer world is false. Because one, you know, politics and sports are inseparable. Two, racism in soccer and other facets of life remains ever-present and dangerous. And three, protest is an important way for social justice to occur it gives a voice to the oppressed and it's not something we should stand in the way of. So we're going to talk, you know, in this three part uh, discussion about, you know, politics, racism and protest. We're going to talk about its place in soccer, I suppose. And first, you know, he brought up himself that we should keep politics out of soccer. We shouldn't we should separate the two because it's it just brings on negative things. So it brings up this central question. Does politics belong in soccer? Is, is it possible to be apolitical in this globalized world in terms of soccer? I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna put it towards Jack. Jack, does politics belong in soccer? In one word, absolutely it does. And they are in fact inseparable, as you said. So just an, another part of this is, you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic saying mm -hmm. athletes should stay out of soccer. Uh it just brought on a ton of thoughts. First of all was, one, clearly my hatred of, towards Zlatan was never misguided. So that was sure. justified. That was great. Oh, he's a uh, god, bro. He's a lion. But, <laughs> but two, uh, he's clearly saying this as someone who has just immense privilege. Like As a poli-sci major, I like to say that those who say they that they don't think certain people should get political or certain things should be political— is is just an immediate red flag that a person right. a particular person is just really privileged and also ignorant of the fact that politics pervades every aspect of life it doesn't yeah. matter what what element it is everything is inherently political and three 
since when is like demanding racial justice something that should be political? Like saying right. that black people shouldn't have to worry when they interact with police should not be political. But to put this all together, Zlatan seems to ignore just a massive truth here, which is that politics is inherently intertwined with politics. And they're just I, I did a ton of research on this. Uh, and sorry, sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you said uh, politics are intertwined with politics. You mean uh, politics oh, is intertwined politics with, are like, intertwined soccer, with soccer, football? Yeah, yeah. That, that's my bad. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, they're completely intertwined. Uh, and I did a ton of research on this. There's so much stuff uh, to be said. So, like, just talking about international politics, I'll go from the biggest level down to the smallest, I guess. Sure. So there are draw conflicts in UEFA. Specifically, so countries with political disputes don't face off of, against each other because those political implications bleed into international games. Azerbaijan and Armenia, they've been a st- in a state of on and off warfare since the 1990s, and them facing each other would cause those tensions to further boil over. And in fact, uh, people from Armenia aren't allowed into Azerbaijan and, uh, and vice versa. So it's pretty much impossible because of the political implications. And Ukraine and Russia are draw conflicted because Russia invaded and annexed Crimea, which is part of Ukraine. Yeah. And in 2014. So they can't face off against each other. Otherwise, you're going to get political implications to it. And Kosovo and Serbia are draw conflicted because of a genocide that Serbia committed against Kosovo uh, in the 90s. It like, I mean, and I think Kosovo and Russia and Kosovo and Bosnia are also draw conflicted for similar reasons. So beyond just draw conflicts, though, there's been wars that are just sparked over soccer and Mm -hmm. and wars have been augmented by or soccer has been augmented by war and vice versa. It uh, I I was doing a research project on this a year ago on the football war of 1969 in El Salvador and Honduras which led to one like hundreds dying in a 100-hour period, all because of World Cup qualifying games that existed over tensions over immigration. It's inherently political. Like those games meant more than just whoever qualified to the World Cup. They were they were a status of strength or who was in the wrong, and it caused a war. And speaking of wars and soccer, you can't talk about it without one of the most famous World Cup matches of the of the 20th century. Argentina versus England in the 1986 World Cup. Uh, while it's normally mem- remembered for the Hand of God incident, it's only half of what makes it so intriguing because the match took place against the backdrop of England taking over the Falkland Islands near Argentina. So it's inherently political once again. Yeah. And uh, just uh, just even more depth in politics, the selection of the 2022 World Cup in 2010. That was political, and even more so when you take a look at an interaction between UEFA president Michel Platini and uh, how he had a lunch with French president Nicolas Sarkozy, who was literally just convicted a day ago for corruption, along with other things, this interaction, where he met with Platini to tell him to vote for Qatar as host for the 2022 World Cup because he wanted to secure a trade deal with Qatar over airplanes. And uh, if like that, that was instrumental in getting that trade deal through and out of the most recent in international politics, you have Mesut Ozil, who spoke out against the genocide of the Uyghurs in China. And as a result, China stopped broadcasting Arsenal's games in the country. And it's probably part of the reason why Ozil ended up not playing much for the club after January 2020. And it's pro- and it's probably why he decided to exit this past window. Because the club cared more about money and uh, were willing to appease political demands of the country of China. And, that, and that's what happened in, in that case. And going past that, we have domestic politics. You have tons of rivalries that are inherently political. Atletico Madrid versus Real Madrid is a rivalry founded in royalist institutions in Spain, where Real Madrid was a symbol of Francoist Spain. Where yeah. it, it was meant to expand his own political capital and, you know, kind of gain credibility as he was running a dictatorship in Spain. And this also led to Atletico shifting left politically. And you have Old Firm in Scotland, Rangers versus Celtic, which is known primarily for sectarian elements, 
but it's also inherently political, where Rangers was a very conservative club, and Celtic fans supported Labour, the Labour Party in mm-hmm. the UK. And Greece has a, has a famous political rivalry between the wealthy, high-class Panath- Panathinaikos, Nikos? I think I pronounced that right, and the working points class... Trying, points are trying. Yeah. And the, and the working class city, uh, the working class uh, port city based Olympiakos. And then you, uh, we'll talk about this more later when we talk about racism, but Roma and Lazio is, is also inherently political. And then just clubs themselves are political, uh, are political. Barcelona, one of the biggest clubs in the world, is political because it's, ta- it's intertwined with the idea of Catalan independence. And it has been since the early 1900s, when their rivals, RCD Espanol, represent, uh, they represent allegiance to the rest of Spain. And, uh, you know, Beitara Jerusalem is political in that they represent incredibly harmful far-right ideas, tons of uh, xenophobia, and their ultra group specifically identifying as nationalist. And, you know, a ton of clubs lean specific ways, like Atalanta has a long history with left-wing politics, one of my favorite clubs. And, uh, you know, Liverpool, through their former manager, Bill Shankly, who self-identified as a socialist, has been identified with a lot of left-wing ideas. And Eintracht Frankfurt specifically banned those who supported uh, the AFD Alternative for Germany party, which is basically a neo-Nazi group slash far-right party from entering their grounds and watching their matches live. And FC St. Pauli in the, in the two Bundesliga has the phrase, no football for fascists painted on their stadium. Hell yeah. Basically my, my take is that Zlatan is ignorant when he says that soccer and politics shouldn't be, don't belong together, that they can't exist together because throughout history, it's shown time and time again that they are just inherently linked. Yeah, like 100%. You simply cannot replace or you you cannot have politics without soccer. You can't have solita- soccer without politics. You know, as crazy as that is, like they are inherently linked because of the popularity of soccer and how much politics pervades our daily lives. And, you know, Jack, I also want to bring up in terms of soccer and politics, uh, how much the the Gulf state countries, UAE, Saudi Arabia, and Qatar, have backed big European teams, and you know th- they're using it for soft political uh, hegemony. Is that how you pronounce it? Hegemony, yeah, soft, hegemony. Uh, soft power. Yeah, they're yeah they're trying to increase their credibility because yeah. they're committing human rights violations, and so mm-hmm. they're like, soccer is popular. Why not try and do it? It's why um uh why well, I can't think of the. The name, I think it's MBS in Saudi Arabia. He's trying to buy Newcastle. Yeah, he, he's trying to increase his credibility after you know Saudi Arabia murdered a journalist. So exactly, exactly. So so we have soccer being infiltrated by political forces. So who are we to deny us talking about politics in the first place if it has been and continues to be a, a just an inherent part of soccer? And this just goes to show that it's not just soccer that has politics, but just, you know, life in, in general. You know, it, it's so easy to say that you're apolitical when you have the privilege to, to say that. But you have people who are inherently disadvantaged, whether it's due to their gender, sexuality, and race. And if they want to feel more accepted in this community, then why are we saying it's political why are we saying that that should not be allowed you know it's it, it it's at that point it's just plain old you not accepting them for who they are you know we have a lot of people saying that we shouldn't bring up uh the lgbtq fight for equality because it's political that's someone's real lived experience and you know politics have been a part of sports since the beginning how quickly can Seth just forget the likes of Jesse Owens, Jackie Robinson, us, uh, us playing a hockey game against the USSR, us going to Germany during the times of Nazi Germany and trying to prove America's worth in the Olympics. It's, it's all still intertwined from the, from the very beginning. We had, we had separated leagues for sports like baseball based on race. You know, we had 
We had instances even today where women aren't allowed to enter sports facilities. To say that you can separate them just simply, simply isn't true. Everything that happens, every policy that the government passes is inherently political, whether or not you think about it or not, whether it's our taxes, whether it's whether it's the cost of gas, whether it's where we can pee in public. You know, this is all controlled by political forces, and that pervades in sports and soccer as well. Being apolitical is political. If you choose to ignore how much it's in our society, how much it's in soccer, how much it's in sports, you're making a political decision to ignore the plights of the disadvantage, to ignore all the history that soccer clubs like Barcelona, Celtic, the, the Istanbul teams, all the, the, the countries with their, with their draw conflicts, you're choosing to ignore that on purpose. And so now we, we come up to the pretty clear conclusion that soccer and politics have to be intertwined. But, you know, people like him are going to say that, you know, athletes should still stay out of politics because even though we have, you know, we have sports obviously being influenced by politics, you know, at least athletes can, you know, maybe not mention it as well. So it's not in his words, maybe shove down our throats but still racism exists in soccer so should they not speak up should they not mention when discriminatory actions occur against them and that's why now we're gonna talk about now that we've answered that politics belongs in soccer what are some instances of racism within soccer on a league level team level and individual level jack the historian coming in clutch why don't you talk about that a little bit yeah so i just want to preface this with my own opinion on racism in soccer that those who say there is no racism in the modern game are either ignorant blissfully or otherwise or simply accepting of those racist ideas so sure just going going through some of the big ones that we've seen in the past few years i mean in this in this year alone there's been thousands of instances in this past decade, and several in the past year. Andrew Fati, uh, an incredible young player for Barcelona, was the victim of racist comments from a Spanish journalist in October of this past year, who compared the Pacey Ford to, quote, a young black street vendor running away from police in the streets, end quote. Even the apology felt empty, with the journalist saying his desire to praise his movements were somehow taken as a racist comment. I think the part that was taken as a racist comment was when you added in the unnecessary details about how he's running away from police in the streets. That that yeah. kind of language has no place in here. And in La Classique, uh, the game between PSG versus Marseille in this past year, Marseille's Alvaro reportedly used racist language towards Neymar. And he wasn't punished, though, because there supposedly wasn't enough evidence, even though several Marseille and PSG players all reported him saying it. And during the Champions League group stage in this past year, Istanbul uh, Basakshir versus PSG was abruptly delayed after the fourth official reportedly used racist language directed towards the Istanbul bench, leading to the players walking off and the game being rescheduled for later. And, uh, you know, a team that's close to my heart, uh, Chelsea, in December 2019... Tottenham versus Chelsea. Chelsea defender Antonio Rudiger, you know, he makes mistakes sometimes. I'll, I'll admit that. He's not always sure. the best defender in the league. But he was the victim of racist language by Tottenham fans and Chelsea fans in the stadium, leading to several fans receiving lifetime bans from the club and from entering any game where that, that their team is playing. And in 2019, in the Euro 2020s, England experienced a ton of racism from other countries that they played against. Against Montenegro, there was racial abuse directed towards English players, especially towards Raheem Sterling uh, by Montenegro fans. And striker Harry Kane responded, saying that the team would either stop play or walk off the pitch the next time they encountered that racist language again. And they actually followed up on that, too, when a later 2019 game against Bulgaria was stopped twice 
due to racial abuse leveled by the Bulgarian fans. And these two instances as well with England are very different because in um, the Montenegro case, Montenegro was punished. They weren't allowed to have any mm-hmm. fans in the stadium afterwards for the for the uh, their home like they they were forced to pay a twenty thousand dollar or twenty thousand euro fine and weren't allowed to have fans. But in the other case, no punishment. They just stopped the game, and that's about it. And I, I talked about this before that Italian soccer might have some of the worst instances of racism in Europe, uh, with the most prominent example being of the terrible actions of uh, Lazio, which I often call Nazio because of their racist and anti-Semitic actions, which, I mean, some of the stuff they've done. They've produced hanging effigies of uh, Roma players. They, they have um, unfurled banners talking about how Roma fans... Uh, I believe, deserve to go to Auschwitz and should burn in ovens, which is terrible. And they also use other just anti-Semitic banners and uh, flyers all around Rome. And their their ultra groups are specifically horribly neo-Nazi right-wing groups. And it's just it's not just Lazio either. Cagliari, Cagliari, Sampdoria, Juventus, in the past two years have all had instances of ultras and fans using racist language towards players. Many instances of which, specifically an instance uh, for Sampdoria, which didn't go punished at all, because supposedly there wasn't enough evidence. Meanwhile, the U.S. has had a reckoning with racism in the sport recently. The former owner of Real Salt Lake and Real Monarchs, uh, Del Loy Hansen, was uh, kicked out, basically. Of, of the board because of incredibly racist comments he made in statement after athletes chose to kneel before games to support Black Lives Matter. And uh, LA Galaxy 2 player Omar Ontiveros had his contract canceled with the club after he used racist language against a San Diego loyal player in the USL championship. And of course, I want to mention uh, AJ and I, our club, Minnesota United, mm-hmm. because I, I feel like we really have to talk about them because they've been simultaneously like pretty good about combating racism, but at the same time, ignoring a few instances where, where they could do better. Uh, so since the murder of George Floyd took place mere miles from Allianz field, like it, it's, it, it wouldn't take long to get between the two. The St. Paul club created banners reading eight minutes and 48 seconds and made a post eight minutes and 48 seconds into nearly every home match this past season as a reminder of how long an officer knelt on George Floyd's neck, killing him. Their social media accounts have been promoting players' actions, both in-game and out of the game, in combating racism. They've, like, uh, throughout the past year or so, AJ, I'm sure you've seen this, on social mm. media, they've let their uh, their black and minority players express themselves and give their views on the situations. They're not trying to, like, censor them or kind of Tell them, no, you shouldn't have your political views or your views on racism and what you've experienced. You shouldn't have to put that on hold. And sometimes the comments on those posts have physically pained me to read at times because there, there are some terrible people out there who still, th- who still think it's okay to make really racist comments on there. But for the most part, Minnesota's fan base has pushed back on that rhetoric. But it just shows you that even the best clubs at this still have some work to do. And, you know, it's it's everywhere that racism is everywhere in soccer. You really can't ignore it. Yeah, you, you, you can't you can't ignore it at all. And to 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 take away players voices throughout all this, when many times they are the victim, know someone who has been a victim or have at least seen it in their community, you know, acts of racism, acts of discrimination to take that away is you know, frankly, as problematic as as it can get. And so to Seth and to whoever really agrees with that statement that that kneeling or protesting or just in general racism doesn't matter in soccer, just because you don't personally see it, we've gone through the history, just because you don't personally see it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And just because it happens to other groups of people to go back to Seth's point that doesn't necessarily mean that 
that should discredit all the negatives that are happening to another group of people. And I just wanted to talk about going back to the PSG versus Istanbul game and maybe talking about the things that happened with Edison Cavani earlier this year. There, there is a, a line between what's actual racism to some people and what people don't ascribe racism to. And so just because something, you know, so, somebody's not saying a racial slur, someone's not being upfront about it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it doesn't have racial undertones or is racially insensitive. Like you can say that Brent Coleman not kneeling for the anthem is isn't racism, and I I probably would agree. But that doesn't mean right. that it's not racially insensitive and something that we should be tackling. When we're talking about racism in soccer, it's not simply the most egregious acts, but it's all the things that don't make this community, this soccer community feel welcoming to people who are a part of disadvantaged communities. And so if we want to tackle racism, if you want to be anti-racist, we have to take a look at every aspect of insensitive, racially insensitive material and look at it from face value and really look at it in its own rights. Just because, just because this act of racism in PSG versus Istanbul wasn't as bad as, say, what's happening in Italy, what happens in uh, the comments of Rashford's or Martial's comments, that doesn't necessarily take away from the fact that we should at least look at it, make sure that people understand cultural differences, people understand what people think is acceptable and what people think isn't. And oh, that's the fight that we're consistently, consistently fighting. Uh, Jack, do you have anything else to say about that? Yeah, and AJ said, like, you know, I was looking back at history, but the reality is each of these incidents are from the past two years. Yeah. Or year and a half, even. Like, these things are happening all the time. If I was to go back even, like, an extra year, that would have easily taken twice the amount of time. Just because, you know, you think that, oh, I've never seen my team do something like scream racial slurs during a game or something like that doesn't mean that your team needs to have a reckoning with this sort of stuff. Every team should be yeah. thinking about this and, you know, saying is, is what I'm doing not only not racist, but actively trying to get rid of, or like, I mean, yeah, get rid of racism in the sport. And, and just to go back to Seth's point one more time, just because just because you don't see it, whether that be racism in your own club or police brutality, it, it doesn't mean that it's not happening because we have literal instances of lived experiences relaying the fact that this is happening. And so just because you don't see with your own eyes, just because from your lens, you're not seeing it, that doesn't mean that it simply isn't happening. And Seth or whoever is defending racism can use as many statistics as they want. If they're forgetting the context into which these stats come from, then they're just, it, it has no credence to it. When, you know, Jack just went through the actual reality of racism in soccer. Like, it's something that we literally can't ignore anymore. Something that has been going on. And so we won't ignore it anymore. And that's why we're going to start talking about protest in soccer. We've gone through the fact that politics has to coexist with soccer because we have no choice. We've talked about the types of racism that's happened in the past, in the, in the near past especially. So let's talk about what we can do to stop that. And I, I guess a, a big question is protest. Why is protest important? Why should it be allowed? Why should people be allowed to kneel for the national anthem? Does it actually change anything? Should athletes do it? A lot of big questions. Jack, why don't you get us started with this discussion? Well, first of all, why is it important for this? So what I, what I would think about first is 
a lot of the contentions that people are making uh, about like why athletes shouldn't be protesting or like kneeling during the national anthem or something like that is because uh you know nobody uh nobody cares and they're supposed to do one thing and they're supposed to be entertainment yeah it's bs but but like as we talked about several times when we talked about like you know the cba the mls lockout potential earlier in the earlier last month uh we we talked about how it's important to see players not just as like financial investments or as like uh as entertainment but as people and if they're going and if you're going to to agree on that part then they should be allowed to express their views and if they want to protest they should and i'm glad u.s soccer recognized this by repealing i think it's policy uh 604-1 uh, I think I think is what it's called, yep. but and that's awesome on their part. Like requiring uh, requiring players to stand for the anthem just simply doesn't make sense, even under the logic of people like Seth, John, Jan, however you pronounce it. I because I don't see what the problem is with repealing that. His rant said some players find the flag really important and want to respect it. Fine. Like, the policy doesn't say everyone has to kneel for the games. Sure. It doesn't say that at all. It, it says that it gives people the freedom to kneel or stand during the anthem, to approach the national anthem the way they want to approach it. So my question to those who think standing for the anthem is such a big deal because it's about, quote, respecting the flag and those who fought to give you rights, what is the flag supposed to represent? And what did those right. people fight for? democracy freedom was it the freedom to be dissident if so by allowing players to protest you you're supporting and emphasizing those values i know for a fact that many people didn't go into the military because they wanted to uphold the integrity of a piece of cloth itself that is not why that that's not why they were fighting they weren't fighting because oh i want to protect the flag the physical flag it's the ideas behind it and the way to recognize that is to give people the freedom to express how they feel, to reflect on their lived experiences, and to show other people that I have a different point of view, I have different experiences that I've lived through, and I want to showcase what that means to me, whether that be by kneeling for the anthem, whether it be by standing. If you, if you want to stand and, and put your hand on your heart during it, fine. I don't have a problem with you doing that. Do like do do what's what's right for you but you shouldn't be telling people and uh especially like players that their only purpose is to be entertainment and you need to allow them to have their voice in this that's yeah. my views on protest in, in soccer yeah. aj what do you think i think protest is one of the most important things important rights that we have as american citizens i think to to take that away to take away the the rights that players have to express their views. It's just, it's just a little bit, I wouldn't say fascisty, but it, it, it's a little bit. You just want to silence them because it's it's their it's their views. And there's a big difference. And I know someone's gonna mention this eventually. There's a big difference between choosing not to listen to someone because they're racist and saying that LeBron James should shut up and dribble. Like, uh, there's a big difference between saying that that hey you shouldn't say that because that's racist and Zlatan Ibrahimovic saying that athletes should just be athletes there's a little bit of even racism in that comment mm -hmm. because you want to control the the language that disadvantaged groups can use and the way when I look at this there's there's some there's some grievances that people who are against policies like this raise up and when we're talking about why not use sports as a platform, they say, you know, people want to escape the politics, so they go to sports. Seth even mentioned that. But you just can't do that. First of all, you can't escape politics. We talked about that. And some people can never escape politics because they're immigrants, because they're gay, because they're women, because they're minorities, because, because they're disabled, because of all these different reasons. So if we want to make them feel welcome then why not allow players to protest to make them feel welcome? He also brought up it losing money for U.S. soccer. First of all, that's terrible. That's such a terrible thing to say. 
like you putting money in front of people's lives uh three it's not justified we talked about about it it is racism does actually exist one that he brought up is athletes are privileged so why should we listen to them and yeah sure most of them are you know sure most most of them do have a subsequent amount of income to their name but especially in topics of race gender and sexuality a lot of them have been marginalized so they can speak to it they also say that it's corporate you know we have nike jumping on the bandwagon adidas a lot of like sports companies backing the likes of colin kaepernick megan rapino black players for change yes corporate activism isn't the best but many people are trying to police individual actions so so why like why you can say all you want that you know nike isn't doing enough to tackle racism but at this in the same breath you can't also say that lebron saying racism is bad is inherently the same level of evil if he as an individual is saying it if he has done his own uh his own charity work in order to support anti-racist anti-racist movements and you know lastly people people saying that that athletes should should be in a box that that athletes it, it, it isn't effective really look at like the pros and cons of this the pros are you help mitigate racism maybe make people feel welcome that's good you know the cons like what are the cons of protesting the 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 it might be misplaced or potentially ineffective or that that's it like okay like that's that's the cons like it, it, it's just kneeling it doesn't actually like kill anyone it, it it's right. symbolic and people might say it's ineffective like it's not doing anything that's a that's a big thing that people talk about when they talk about these anti-racist policies sure it's not changing the world but unless people can only do literally one thing at a time like people it's it's literally physically impossible for someone to kneel and also donate money to anti-racist foundations it's literally impossible for someone to kneel and also, I don't know, do work with ACLU or wh whoever they're working with. It's literally impossible to kneel and also lobby Congress to pass more in inclusive laws. Like, the pros are, it just completely, completely eclipses the cons in terms of the actual effects that it brings on and not just maybe the 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 easily shatterable ego of racist people like seth hey this is actually editor aj talking right now i kind of wanted to just add some more things here and there about this discussion because i think it's important there are things that i want to mention i, I just want to talk about the things that people say in in opposition to people protesting some more that we already mentioned than what we already mentioned and people saying stuff like you know what about this injustice how come athletes aren't talking about this obviously athletes can't talk about literally everything they might bring support to other things but that shouldn't discredit like seth was trying to do that that shouldn't discredit the actions that they are taking just because uh people like you know like myself uh, as an asian american just because there is discrimination going against us it doesn't mean that we can't also at the same time say that black lives matter say that we should support gender or sexuality equality we can do two things at once and even though they're not specifically saying out loud that doesn't take away from any other fight going on and really that's just a a bad faith take uh and then next is people saying that it's it's divisive or it's not it's not actually helping because it'll just push away people who who think like problematic things like like calling someone out as being racist people say like oh well it's just going to make them even more racist they're just going to double down and like yeah sure i guess but at the same time do you really want to just be passive about it like 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 if we don't mention this, the fact that we're talking about this right now, the fact that we're talking about about anti-racist measures means that these protests are working. 
right? It means that we're starting a discussion and that does bring on net positives. Just because someone's racist doesn't mean that you should bend every will, every branch for them. You know, like, like if we don't bring this up, if we don't begin a debate on racism, if we don't call them out for racism, how are we going to get rid of it? Are we just going to like let it sit by the wayside until until it just magically disappears? Like we can't you, you, we can't expect to like coddle and walk every racist or someone who thinks racist thoughts through uh, through the hoops in order to understand where they're wrong. You kind of just have to start a discussion, kind of say, hey, you're being racist right now. Here's why. And just that be the the end of it, because you can't just you can't look at every single racist and try to to appeal to them. Like at one point, you got to be like, hey, racism is bad. It's bad. And it's bad. Like end of story. And uh, lastly, people saying that we're being a little too sensitive, like we're calling things that racist that aren't racist or uh, we're canceling people or, you know, it's like it's cancel culture or whatever it might be. Any racism in any facet of life is something that should be called out. We don't have to necessarily cancel someone and like get them out of their job if they say something that's just racially insensitive. But at the same time, we could just like simply call them out Say like, hey, that's bad, and you know, just be done with it. That that can happen, and that's not necessarily something that's that's overtly overtly problematic. You know, in that same vein, what might not be a, such a big deal to you because you might be in a place that is because adv- you might be in a more advantaged community, or even if you are in a disadvantaged community, maybe you haven't lived that experience, or maybe you're just, like, literally just a different person from whoever is facing a, that racism or other form of discrimination. Like, because you're different from them, you, you can't really speak for them. You can't really speak for, a, for another community because you look through it in a different lens because, I don't know, you're, you're, you're just different. So, like, who are you to say as maybe a white person that this form of racism is isn't minor enough to make a big deal out of it? Like, are you going to speak for minorities or for, I don't know, whatever ever disadvantaged community you're trying to speak for? It's it. It's just dumb. That's all I wanted to say. My name's editor AJ. Uh, back to the show, wherever we're coming from. Uh, follow us on Twitter and uh, shout at us if you think uh, we're wrong. Yeah. And I, I mean, Jack, do you have anything to say about that? Or do you have any ideas on how we can try to help fight racism? Well, yeah, let, let's let's get on to that. Uh, yeah, about sure. How we can how we can get into anti-racism, because that's been a discussion a lot of leagues and a lot of people have been having over the past year or so. And the first thing I wanted to say is just an example of maybe where it wasn't the best way to go. Sure. And uh, this this comes from uh, a comedian, partially. But once I listened to it, I, I was like, yeah, he, he's got some points here. Um, because in when, like right after the murder of George Floyd happened, the Premier League changed their slogan from kick out racism to no room for racism. Right. Which sounds like, you know, okay. Sounds like a, a chain. I mean, it's a change. Uh, and as someone who cares for semantics, this is really interesting to me because kick out racism sounds violent. Like, you know, if you're racist, we're going to we're going to physically beat you out of Whoa, the sport. Yeah. Like that. That's that's what it sounds like. Uh, it, it sounds like a threat towards racism. And honestly, I think that might be the right attitude to have. And this comedian said, you know, no room for racism Sounds accommodating, like, you know, uh, there's no room right now, man, but if we had room, you know, you're totally welcome. That, that's kind of what it, that's kind of how it sounds like. It, it's just saying that it's, it feels less temporary. It doesn't feel threatening towards it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the wrong attitude to have. I think we need to adopt kind of the violent sounding nature, as, as bad as that might sound, of kick out racism. Because it's important to stress that racism is not only not tolerated, but that it's punished. And that's, I think, the key difference. We, we need to go beyond 
this idea of just non-tolerance and towards actually punishing racism and actually like working to stop it. We shouldn't give any illusion of accommodation to racists in the game of soccer. And one of my favorite quotes that I found on this comes from Samuel Eto'o, uh, which says, where he says, if players of color say, we won't play, then many people will lose money. And when you touch someone's wallet, I can tell you they will find solutions. And honestly, <laughs> I think he's exactly right. If you're, if you're going to hurt someone financially, they will try and find solutions because at its core, especially for MLS, like just talking about MLS, it's a business investment for a lot of the club owners. That's why like, you know, the MLS U22 rule has come on, why they, they fought about this CBA so much and all of that other stuff. If, if, uh, if people are, if, if people make decisions like the NBA, uh, after the shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin, many teams refused to play that night. And it even had, and some MLS teams followed suit in that. And the league started to listen and started to notice. And you can see sudden changes in like the NFL's tune on, uh, on kneeling during, uh, the anthem and protest in the game. Four years ago when Colin Kaepernick knelt during the anthem, the league pretty much forced him out. And now, during the last Super Bowl, they aired an ad talking about commitment to anti-racism. And why is that? Because people started hitting them in the pocketbook. And that's, and that's one way to attack racism in the yeah, game. And if I can just uh, hop in real quick yeah, and, and talk, about, talk about that. You know, it, it's about calling out organizations for, for being complacent about, uh, about racism. And also, I will say about making sure that organizations and athletes or whoever media companies aren't being performative with their, with their actions. Right. Uh, you just mentioned the NFL mentioning their commitment to anti-racist efforts that came off, uh, you know, even though they, yeah. they have been doing some stuff that kind of felt performative. It did. Uh, a, a lot of times people, uh, people who aren't in tune with anti-racist efforts they're okay with the performative. They think that anything past performative is a, a bit too extreme for them. But when we're trying to make actions like this, we really have to push, uh, push for clubs, push for organizations, push for leagues to actually make a real commitment to fighting racism and not just do the thing where they say, this is the bare minimum. This is what everyone's doing. This is a cool thing to do right now. So let's do it. We see in the Premier League, I think it's a, I believe it's Dominic Calvert Lewin uh, called out the Premier League uh, for, so. yeah. for uh, where he said like we've knelt for the the anthem so much like it's losing meaning like like he basically condemned kneeling uh, for uh, uh, for race anti racist efforts before the games and to a sense like yeah when it happened it, it was very powerful but now the question is is it becoming performative. So one of the key parts for uh, fighting, fighting racism is making sure the, the leagues, the clubs, the organizations that control, like have financial power, are using that financial power in a way that's non-performative. All right, Jack, why don't you continue? Right. I mean, making sure you're not performative is a huge part. And I think one way you can do this, uh, when I was talking about instances of racism, I mentioned a lot of instances where fans went unpunished. And while fans aren't the only problem, right, it's, it's not just fans. There's so many other aspects. There's players as well, sometimes even managers, uh, front offices. But I think there needs to be harsher punishments for racist fans in the same vein as the idea of kick out racism. I, I honestly think, that, and this might be controversial, that the minimum punishment for racist actions, language or abuse, if you can prove that that person did it, directed towards players during a game, in a stadium should be a lifetime ban from that ground. I, I don't care if, if it was like, if they're saying like, oh, I was just having fun or just making a joke. No, there's no excuse. Make an example of them. It, it, that, that should be a minimum. And if leagues want to be serious about kicking out racism, legitimately kick it out. Don't just promise empty rhetoric and act on it. And for racist players, just punish them too. Show the players that they aren't above consequences. I really liked when the LA Galaxy, uh, the LA Galaxy 2, released Omar Ontiveros from his contract 
because he he racially abused a player during a game. It sets an example that if you do this, this is what happens. It it doesn't matter. It shouldn't be tolerated. And I I think I think you need to seriously make players suffer if they think that that language is okay. And again, like how however that that comes with a caveat because like AJ said with Edinson Cavani and uh, a controversial ruling by the English FA yeah. about a term he used that means something completely different in Uruguay than it does than the context in England. You have to be you have to be careful between firmly being against racism and simply being understanding or ignorant, I guess. It I, I'm not sure which way to put it, of other cultures because it sounds racist what he said, but it's it, it's different because it's a different culture, and you've got to be careful about that. So, as as much as I want to be like super hardline on all of this stuff and say like and legitimately say kick out racism, there's a lot of nuance that needs to be in this conversation as well, which I I I, I actually really like nuance as as a, a political science major. You know that's yeah. kind of where I thrive. But I uh, I I think that there actually needs to be actions backed up with, with these things like what the LA galaxy two did, like what Tottenham as, as much as I don't like Tottenham Hotspur when they banned fans from the ground after abusing uh, Antonio Rudiger, that is a step in the right direction. And that is what these teams should continue doing. And yeah, that that's my take on, on that kind of stuff. AJ, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Just on like a personal level for fans, something that they can do is you know, support grassroots player movements whether it's black players for change uh here in mls uh there right. are plenty of those organizations in other leagues they can join supporters groups in their soccer teams who have missions of inclusion places like portland chicago minnesota i know are places who have groups that have expressed their their mission statement to be to make us their space more inclusive that's a very confusing sentence but whether it's gender, race, sexuality, or disability, they're they're working to bring on more diversity or inclusion within their soccer club, within their local communities, or within the league as a whole. And on a wider non-soccer scale, I mean, number one, don't be a racist. Two, call out racists. Things like, you know, having discussions is always important, even if you can't get to them right away. Donate to anti-racism campaigns that are grassroots, you know, all these different movements can eventually shift the tide. And you know, th- th- that's, th- that's what I, I really wanted to mention. I have some other things that I think I might add in post, but other than that, Jack, is there anything else that you wanted to say? I mean, not, not really. I mean, I guess in the same vein of what you said, on social media, especially like when soccer teams are posting content, like lifting up, their players uh, who are specifically talking about their experiences with racism, you know, elevate it and kind of shut down people who are, who are spewing hateful and racist rhetoric in that comment section. Like if there's people that are acting like that, tell them that they're wrong. Tell them that 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 language isn't going to be accepted by your fan base. Be be representative of the of the club that you want to be seen. Don't let other people co-opt what you want uh, what the club should be seen as don't let racist hijack it yeah and take it make a stand yeah that that's that's what i would say always if you come from a place where you can do it do take a stand always take a stand when you can and i think we should leave it at that i'm i'm just gonna i'm just gonna say i'm just gonna say soccer and politics are always going to be intertwined racism obviously does exist and we need protests in order to fight racism it's something that is not only something that would help it's a necessity to fighting racism in our culture athletes should be able to talk because why wouldn't they it really helps and actively fight racism in whatever facet of life it seems to be popping up in and with that, Jack, is there anything else you want to say to the audience before we close out this episode of The Final Third? I mean, 
usually I, I would say like it feels it feels kind of weird to say this after this such a serious discussion that we sure. had, but uh follow our Twitter as well. Uh you know, the fi- uh, final third show. Uh we've been posting about a lot of this discussion throughout the week and on a ton of other topics throughout the week. And, you know, we we'd love to interact more. If you if you have other opinions or other ideas on how to, you know, make anti-racism in soccer a th- more of a prevalent thing, share it with us on there, you know? Uh, start up a conversation, I guess. And uh, we also have an Instagram, same exact name. Do the same thing on there. Follow on there. And yeah, that's that's about all I have. Yeah, you know, follow us on Twitter. Follow us wherever you listen to us. This is definitely going to be a topic that we come back to. I I often think about topics that we've already done deep dives on and how often we might come back to the that that topic or a similar topic we have ones that are like kind of one and done i guess like uh our inter miami discussion or our hosting the world cup discussion but there's ones like this ones like i'm not talking about competitions or especially important topics like this where i wouldn't be surprised if we have another deep dive episode talking about discrimination in a, just a, a couple of months if something happens or we feel it's important to talk about again. And in which case, like with racism as a whole, this deep dive and the politics around it is an ever-growing, ever-changing thing. And so it's important to keep that in mind. And it's important to keep in mind like the things that we say here might change, might evolve. This is definitely not an evergreen topic. And as things evolved within our culture and within local events, we'll be sure to talk about it again. So yeah, follow us wherever you listen to us. Uh, tell a friend who wants to learn more about anti-racism in soccer about this episode. Tell your father, tell your dad about it in case he needs to maybe not be so racist at soccer games. And we'll see you guys on Monday for our news and predictions show. We'll see you guys same place, same time for maybe a more lighthearted but equally important topic such as this next week. Same time, same place. See you. Bye for now.